I was telling the first service, you know, we already got a fall storm, and that was a doozy, wasn't it? We, we, um, I was down here yesterday cleaning up the grounds for today, and as I was just kind of going around the facility, I was talking to the Lord about the Beatitudes, and as I was praying, I asked him the question. I said, Lord, why are they called Beatitudes and not Beactions? And I, I know the answer why, but I think that many times, Christians, we want to reduce everything down to an action. That's how the Pharisees were. They weren't Christians, but that's how they were. They were more concerned about their actions. What, what does this look like? How does this appear to other people? Rather than the attitude of their hearts. And yet, when you study the scriptures, and especially the New Testament, we see that God is very much concerned with the attitude of his people, the attitude of people in general. And when I was thinking of that, I thought, well, you know, it's true. No one could command you to be, and these are not commandments, the Beatitudes are not commandments. No one could command you to be poor in spirit. How could you do that? Be poor in spirit. Okay, I'll try. Or to mourn. Or to be meek. These are not commandments. These are attitudes of the heart. No one could command us to do this. It is the work of God in our hearts in our lives it's not just an action it's an attitude and so we continue where we left off last week our beatitude begins this week with blessed are the merciful the greek word that's used here for merciful it's used twice is elios and the word speaks of pity compassion kindness and of course mercy Guys, when you study the scriptures, it's God who initiates mercy. Mercy always begins with God. It never begins with man. Because we're not merciful. But God, the scripture tells us, Ephesians tells us, that God is rich in mercy. He's the one who initiates it. He's the one who... Uh, is merciful to all who fear him or seek him or call out to him. He is merciful. Now, guys, you know there's a difference between mercy and grace. I think sometimes, you know, if we're not careful, we could just look at these words and really not give much consideration to the things that we're reading. But grace is God's unmerited favor. And so grace is getting what we do not deserve. None of us deserve God's uh, unmerited favor. And yet it is ours through faith and the finished word of Jesus Christ, you know. But mercy, on the other hand, is not getting what we do deserve. What do we deserve? Judgment? Wrath? That's what we deserve. But we don't get that. We're shown mercy. In fact, as you... Look at the scriptures. I think it's interesting to note that whenever the words mercy and peace are shown together, they're always in that order. One exception in the New Testament is in Galatians 6 and verse 16. That's the only time that they're reversed. But every other time you see mercy and peace, you'll always find mercy first and then peace second. And I think the reason why is because mercy 
comes from God, and the peace is a result of experiencing his mercy. In fact, when you study the scriptures, I've been spending a lot of time in the Psalms lately, and as you just read through the Psalms, uh, the word mercy just jumps off the page over and over and over again. Uh, The psalmist They vary, you know. Uh, They're either asking for mercy, show me mercy, be merciful to me, or they're acknowledging his mercy that's already been manifested to them. Let me give you an example. This is a psalm from David. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness. Listen to this. According to the multitude of your tender mercies. I like that. They're not just mercies. They're tender mercies. He says, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. Do you recognize that psalm? That's Psalm 51, first two verses. Of course, this is after his sin with Bathsheba and Uriah and all that followed that horrible sin, sins, I should say. Again, mercy is seen over and over and over again in the scriptures, and it's surely seen in the Gospels over and, or in the um, Psalms, excuse me, over and over again. But it's seen other places as well. It's seen in the law. Mercy. Let me give you one example. Numbers chapter 14, verse 18. The Lord is long-suffering and abundant in mercy. And then it goes on to explain how. He's abundant in mercy. Listen, forgiving iniquity and transgressions. And it goes on from there. Do you see the link, guys? I just quoted two verses to you. We could spend all morning looking at scriptures. There is a link between mercy and forgiveness. God's mercy is seen in his forgiveness of our sins. In fact, God's mercy is seen and experienced in the believer through his forgiveness and acceptance of us in Christ Jesus. So Jesus, though he's talking to his disciples here, there's a multitude there on the mount, and he says to them, blessed are the merciful. So he's saying, listen, um, I, I I want you to be merciful. I want you to be, Jesus might say, like me. Guys, Jesus said, not here in Luke or in Matthew, but in Luke's gospel, therefore be merciful just as your Father also is merciful. So there's a, there's a requirement, there's a standard that the Lord has for us. It's not just believe and be saved and go on your way and live as you choose. In fact, Jesus, you know, he didn't call us to get people saved. He called us to make disciples. What's a disciple? A disciple is a follower of Christ, a student, a pupil, someone who's constantly learning from the Lord. That's what a disciple is. It's someone who recognizes their master, their teacher, Jesus, of course, in this case, and they submit to him, to his teaching, to his commands. Here's the fact of the matter. All of us have sinned. All of us still sin. All of us need 
mercy. If you don't believe that, I don't know what book you're reading. I really don't. We all need mercy. And the beautiful thing, the wonderful thing is that the Lord is merciful to us. In Micah, you ever read Micah? A lot of these, you know, Old Testament, the prophets, many times sad that we don't even spend time reading them. But Micah 6, 8, I, I know that you know this verse. He has shown you, O man. We know it because we sing it, don't we? It's a worship song. He has shown you, O man, what is good. Listen, and what does the Lord require of you? But to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. The mercy that the Lord requires of us is not a mere action. You know, do merciful acts. No, it is an attitude of the heart. Now, you might think, you know, well, how can I, how can I have any bearing upon the attitude of my heart? It is what it is. Listen, I am convinced that if you're a child of God, if you've been born again, born of the Spirit, you have the Spirit of the living God dwelling within you. He does not create clones, but we are like. You see, you could be different in your personality and and different things, your approach and stuff like that. But we are the same in Christ. We are the same in the Spirit. The, The Spirit of God has the same agenda, that we would become more like Jesus our Lord. It's the Spirit of God, I'm convinced, it's not just following rules and regulations. It's not, you know, a list. Of, it is the Spirit of God ministering in our hearts that brings us to this place of, for example, poverty of spirit. I would have been so frustrated as a young Christian if I would have been told, you know, now, listen, I want you to be pov- I want you to acknowledge your poverty of spirit. I want you to be poor in spirit. And I want you to mourn over that. And I want you to... Man, that would have been so frustrating. But the fact of the matter is, is that when I became a Christian, I started walking with Jesus, and it was more than just simply believing and being saved, but I saw the scriptures, and I saw the Lord and his holiness, and I was growing in my knowledge of him and the word of God and, and growing in grace. Do you know what that means? It's not just that we show grace to one another, but growing in grace means that we understand the grace that we've received. It's God's unmerited favor. I, I don't deserve this, Lord. And yet you, you accept me and you love me. And oh man, no one had to tell me to be poor in spirit. I could turn to the Sermon on the Mount, to the Beatitudes and say, yes, Lord, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. This is a work of your spirit. This is something that you're bringing about in our hearts. The blessing of the merciful is they shall obtain mercy. Guys, this is so important. They shall obtain mercy. They, we, shall obtain mercy. And I suggest to you, from the same one we receive the kingdom of heaven, from the same one we receive comfort from the same one. We receive inheritance from the same one. We receive filling from the Lord himself. 
We receive mercy from him. But, but I think that there's also a principle here that we're going to see. Again, please note the connection between mercy and forgiveness. Mercy and forgiveness. Mark chapter 11. Would you turn there in your Bibles? Mark chapter 11. Mark, yes. Mark chapter 11. And let's see. Look at verse... Oh, I'm in... I'm in Matthew. I guess I better get to where you guys are. Matthew chapter 11. Look at verse 25, beginning there. Of course, Jesus is speaking. He's teaching. He says, whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him. Think of that. Think of how radical that is. I'm praying. I'm just enjoying fellowship, a time of prayer with the Lord. And it comes to mind that you're at odds with someone. You have something against someone. He says, forgive him, forgive her. That your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. We don't believe it. We don't believe verses like this. See, we know what the scriptures teach. I mean, we learned this day one of coming to faith in Christ. We know Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. We know that. And that's true. But you know what, guys? If we're not careful, we stand upon the one verse or the few verses and we ignore the other ones. The other ones, they just don't have the impact that they should have. Think of what Jesus is saying here. If you do not forgive, neither will Father forgive you. You go, whoa, 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 wait a minute. I don't like that. That's uncomfortable. Well, he doesn't stop there. James, James wrote, For judgment is without mercy, listen, For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Wait a minute. What's that all about? Well, let me point out, because see, there are some that will say, yeah, but Jesus was speaking before the cross. Jesus was speaking before the gospel was understood. So we just, you know, we got to kind of put that in its right place. Well, James wrote after the cross. James wrote after the gospel was being preached and received. Here's another one. Listen to this. This is from Luke chapter 17. Verses 3 and 4, Jesus says, Take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. 
say, this is absurd. No, this is mercy. This is mercy. We must forgive others. We must be merciful toward others. You know, a lot of people talk about karma. Karma has nothing to do with Christianity, of course. And, and it's not karma that you should be concerned with. It's mercy that you should be concerned with, that we should be concerned with, and the lack of it. It's mercy. It's not karma. The parable of the unforgiving servant. You guys know it. I'll just read it. Matthew chapter 18. The servant therefore fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. Then the master of the servant was moved with compassion, or to feel sympathy, to show mercy, released him, and forgave him the debt. Down a few verses. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. He says the same thing. Well, the parable goes on. And in verse 30, the beginning of verse 30, we read these words, And he would not. And he would not. He would not what? The man who experienced, who received, who was shown mercy, would not show mercy to others. And I have one word, or I guess two words. Watch out. It's a strange thing. I am baffled by the Lord choosing to use humans. I mean, really. It would have been better if he used angels, you know. And and they illustrated and they lived and we watched. But it's the other way around. They're watching. We're living. We're doing, you know, doing the things. And and they're amazed by the redemption. Probably, you know, they're amazed. You know, he he redeemed them. You know, they're going, I don't get it. You know, must be grace. Yes, it's grace. But you think you're in power to withhold forgiveness or mercy. But you're not. You're a prisoner. You're a slave. You have a yoke around your neck. You pull around a ball and chain everywhere you go. It affects every aspect of your life, but you don't see it. You're bitter. You're angry. You have a chip on your shoulder. I refuse to forgive. And I believe at the root of the unwillingness to forgive is that you or I just don't believe that our sin is that bad. I would never do this. I would never do what they did to me. And we make it this personal thing. I speak from experience. 
I was angry at a man for seven years. Ironically, sounds like a biblical number, doesn't it? (laughs) I was angry at a man for seven years. I was betrayed. I was heartbroken. I could not wrap my head around the thing. When the thing was revealed to me, I literally felt like something snapped in my in my brain. I literally did. I just, I don't know how I responded, but I just felt so betrayed. And I just, and I did what I do. I, I don't, I don't know. Maybe I'd be better off if I didn't do things like this, but I went right to the person. I called the person because of distance. And I said, I want to know, did this happen? And he said, no, it didn't happen. And I was enraged because now, you know, I'm, I'm, it's like you're not being honest. And I know you're not being honest about this. And how can we ever have a relationship with one another because of this betrayal and now this deception? And, and you're not being honest, and how could you do this thing? And for seven years, it continued, and it continued, and it continued, and there was this cold war between us. And every time I called his home to talk to my mom, few words between us. It was my dad. So angry, so bitter, so sick about the thing. But you know, that's only one area of my life, so it doesn't affect the other areas of my life. Not so, not so, not so. It affects everything. It affects the way you deal with your children. It affects the way you deal with your spouse. It affects the way you deal with other people. You have this distrust toward other people because after all, this has happened and how can it, and this type of thing. And I remember the day that I was set free. Danny, something about just the way he said my name. Danny, I knew it was coming. Danny, yes, Dad? I did that thing. I said, thank you, Dad. Thank you, Dad, for admitting it. I forgive you. He said, I didn't expect this. And I said, Dad, I've been carrying this around for so long and I want to be free from this burden. I'm telling you, listen to me. First of all, it wasn't personal toward me. It was towards someone else. 
And when we make a thing, you know, all about us, and we take God out of the equation, we are imprisoning ourselves and we are also imprisoning the other person. And there is freedom when we could say with, with honesty, I forgive you. Sometimes, you know, we, we say those words, but we don't, it's not in our heart. It's not, we're just saying it because we're just kind of going through the motions of it. But when the Lord releases us of something, we're able to say it. I forgive you. I forgive you. Should you not have also had compassion or mercy on this fellow, on your fellow servant, just as I had pity, mercy on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due him. So my heavenly father also, who? So my heavenly father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. These are hard sayings. Listen, everything that Jesus taught was hard. These people that act like Jesus is just, you know, tiptoeing through the tulips with a ewe lamb on his shoulders and never had anything offensive to say. I don't know what they're reading. Because Jesus said the most offensive things than anybody. More offensive than Jeremiah or Ezekiel or Isaiah or John the Baptist. Even with his repent. Jesus said things that stop you dead in your tracks and cause you to think, what in the world? What in the world is he saying? I don't understand how a Christian, having been forgiven of their horrific sins, and you need to see your sins that way. You need to. We must see our sins as horrific. They were not minor things. They were not mistakes. They were horrific. How bad? Bad enough that he was scourged for our sins, for our iniquities. The chastisement that was due us was laid upon him. It pleased the Father to bruise him. What? Knowing that he would see the fruit of his suffering. What's the fruit of your suffering, Jesus? You? What, Lord? It was our sins that brought you. That's right. It was our fornication and our drunkenness and our indulging in things we shouldn't do and our lying and our unforgiveness and our un. It was ours and ours and ours. He was the sinless one. And he dies in our stead. And the fruit of his suffering is us. If, if this doesn't move you, if this doesn't move me, if it doesn't humble us out to recognize the wonderful gift of salvation we received, something is seriously wrong. I don't understand a person who, who has received mercy from God, who are presently receiving, experiencing mercy from God. And yet they will not be moved in their heart to show compassion 
to show mercy, to show forgiveness to another who is repentant. I can't see. I don't understand it. All I can say is watch out. Watch out. Watch out. You say, what are you saying? I'm going to lose my salvation. I'm not saying you're going to lose your salvation. I don't believe that. Then then we'd have a problem with Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 and verses like that. But I'm telling you, in this life, there is a sowing and a reaping. And your life will be bound up and miserable. I was sharing with the first service. I was thinking of of her yesterday. Michael. Remember Michael? She was David's uh, prize. Do you know what I'm saying? His prize wife from Saul. He was supposed to get her older sister, but Saul gave her to another man. And so Michael and, and David were in love. And, and so Saul said, yeah, you know, this is good. She could be a snare for him, a trap for him, you know. Maybe there was more in that than we think when we read it. But, but we, we kind of follow Michael and... We don't see her much, but we do see her when David, when they finally brought the Ark of the Covenant back, and they're doing it right, and David is dancing in an ephod before the Ark of the Covenant. He is a man of God. He is so moved by God's grace and his mercy, and the Ark is here, and this is a representation of God's presence with us. And he's here, and he's dancing, and he's twirling. And the image that I get is that his wife, Michael looks on with scorn. And when he gets home that evening, he, she mocks him for his worship before the Lord. As if he was trying to entice the young maidens, this handsome, you know, redhead, <laughs> David. I think it's interesting to note that she was barren. There's no mention of her ever having children. You say, what does that have to do with anything? Because I think her barrenness was a picture of the spiritual barrenness in her life. She was all bound up. She didn't understand mercy. She didn't understand uh, grace. She didn't understand what it was to worship God. She looked at what her husband was doing with disdain rather than Look how much my husband loves Jesus, or loves the Lord, not Jesus. Jesus wasn't on the scene yet, but he was present. I don't want to be bound up. I lived too many years like that. Verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And the word see, it means to gaze with, with eyes wide open at something remarkable. And... and Again, you might be thinking to yourself, well, this doesn't make sense because all all Christians, all all believers will see God in heaven, won't they? And I believe that we will see God in heaven. But I don't know, I don't know if Jesus was speaking of heaven when he said this. I wonder if if Jesus might have been saying, listen, the, the, the pure in heart, they will see God. They will see God in the Word of God like others cannot see Him or will not see Him. The pure in heart, they will see God in the circumstances of life 
like others cannot see him, will not see him. Some people are so cut and dry. There are absolutely, there's no room for emotions or the leading of God or God's directing in a certain way. And I wonder if Jesus wasn't speaking of the here and now, that they would enjoy a greater intimacy with the Lord. Just something to consider. Guys, remember the backdrop, and we know this because of the context of Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount and all, and what Jesus has to say about the scribes and the Pharisees, how our righteousness must succeed or must surpass that of the scribes and the Pharisees. They're in the backdrop of all of this. The Pharisees were not poor in spirit. They didn't mourn in recognition of their poverty of spirit. They were proud and harsh, not humble or gentle. They felt they had attained righteousness, and so they had no appetite for righteousness, for true righteousness. They were more concerned with legalities, their interpretation of the law, than with mercy. Don't we see that? That's why Jesus was so upset about them. Their actions, I'm sure, looked right before the people, but it was the attitude of their heart. Your heart is so far from me. I'll tell you, this is going to sound weird. I would rather hang out with unbelievers who cuss and swear and do what they do than with pretenders. They've got it all down. They can quote a scripture at this, that, and the other. And it's almost like you want to say, but, but look at your life. There's been bumps. There's been, there's been falls. There's, there's been stumbles along the way. Are, are you not acknowledging? I don't acknowledge those. No. I just think, oh, I, can't, I can't tolerate people like that. I really can't. And I couldn't tolerate people like that before I was saved. I remember, I've told the story many times. I, think, I don't know if it was Young Life or something like that. And I'm not putting down a, a, any particular group or anything. But when I was in high school, you know, I was a, I was a kind of a hippie guy. I was a new young fan. I had um, some Levi jeans that were like new youngs. He inspired me. Uh, after the gold rush, you know, all the patches all over and everything. We would wear our jeans until they were almost falling off, you know, because it would be so worn out. Flannel shirt, that would be my dress shirt, you know, and, and uh, long hair, wore our hair long, and, and that was kind of our thing. And, and um, I went out for football and quit after, you know, the first week because I didn't like the coaches calling me names. <laughs> I was really... Peace. <laughs> but at the same time, there was this conflict because whenever anyone would get in my face, I would fight them. And so I kind of had this reputation of a peaceful fighter. You know, I would I'd fight a lot of people in high school, a lot of guys in high school. And um, not people. But, um, but there would be girls. Trace knows about this. The girls. You know, Bless their hearts. Christian girls, they, they want to 
they want to save Danny <laughs> because he's, he's such a mess and we'd really like to help him. And, and so I would be invited to different things, Christian things, you know. And I remember one time I was invited to this thing and, and I showed up with my host, you know, and we went into this place and it was all the jocks, all the athletes and everything. There's nothing wrong with that. I had a lot of friends that were athletes. And we were there, and, and but I really stood out. I mean, I you know I had the, the, the hair and just all of the stuff, and and um, and and they were just kind of getting up, and I guess they were giving their testimonies. But it sounded like boastimonies to me. It was almost like you know, yeah, you know, it's a really a tough game, and but you know what, the Lord gave us that victory, woohoo! And I'm kind of sitting there going. Whoa. I mean, is, is this really <laughs> the depth of Christianity? If this is the depth of Christianity, I must be on the right path because I was into Maharishi Yogi and all that Eastern stuff. At least they had the facade of being deep. They were just as shallow, of course. But I was turned off. I was turned off. In fact, it wasn't until Tracy and I met a couple and they were so genuine and so real that I just saw someone like me <laughs> on, a, on a very, you know, uh, fleshly level. They lo- he looked like me. He had long hair. He, his dress shirt was a flannel shirt. And he wore roped up Levi's. And, and he was a carpenter. And I was a carpenter. And, and, and just working with this guy. And he wasn't pretending to be anything. But he was a follower of Jesus. And man, I was just so blown away. I said, man, you're the real deal. You're not perfect. In fact, when I first went out to the job site, I told them later, I I thought, boy, this guy must be a drinker. Because there were bottles all over the job site. I didn't understand at the time, because I didn't recognize the bottles, that there was some like new like soft drink type of thing that the guy had a craving for. And so there were bottles all over the place, you know. And... But you know what, guys? People are watching us. They are. Do you think that a person would be moved? <laughs> By our compassion... For other people? I think they would be. I think, in fact, we diminish or we destroy the, um, the imaginary view or the view that people have of us. I was on a jet. I was flying to California to a pastor's conference, and I had seen this guy. Um, he was a, ortho, or he was a, a Greek... Uh, Orthodox Egyptian Orthodox priest, and I saw him there in the you know the the beard and the hat and the black thing and everything. And I prayed, Lord, I pray that he sits next to me. And so he did. He came and he sat. I mean, you know, assigned seats, and he sat right in the middle. And so there we were, and and I introduced myself, and he introduced himself, and and I said, so tell me about yourself. And so he's telling me. And uh, he says, tell me about you. And I said, well, I'm a pastor. He goes, oh, you are? 
And he's looking at me, and I've got my shorts on and flip-flops and everything. Dressed quite a bit differently than he's dressed, you know. And, and then um, he gave me a little thing, and he says, you know, why don't you read this? And I think I was reading uh, Calvary Road at the time. And I said, have you ever read this book? This book is just wonderful, you know, very Christ-centered. And we kind of exchanged back and forth. He said, as we're landing... He said, when you told me you were a pastor, I judged you based upon your appearance. And I said, yeah, me too. <laughs> I judged you because of your appearance, you know. And, and then, you know, we were able to talk how, how foolish it is to, to make these judgments. I think sometimes people assume that we are we're hateful and we don't care about people and there's no compassion for people and when we show them that no this is how Jesus is it blows them away I always tell people if you look at Christians you may never become one (laughs) but if you look at Jesus I don't know how you can look at Jesus in the gospels and not be drawn to him with all the hard things that he taught all the difficult things that he said the things that he said that offends you, and, and you're not even present. You're not even standing there, and he's saying it to your face. You're just reading it. And you're going, oh. But you say, oh, I love him. Oh, I want him. Blessed are the pure in heart. i got to wrap this up. Blessed are the peacemakers. I don't think this speaks of just those who are you know, trying to make peace, but I think it's speaking of those who really love peace, who are actually bringing about peace by overcoming evil with good. And I think that the best way and the most important way is in the spreading of the gospel. Because listen to me, you know, a lot of churches have gotten off the rails since the whole COVID thing. I'm not blaming COVID. It's just that's just the time frame of everything. Churches are closed down. Black Lives Matter, all of that type of stuff happens. All of a sudden, churches, not all of a sudden, (laughs) some it took a long time, some it took a a year, they open. And people are amazed. They're saying, what happened to our pastor? He's woke. And, And now he's not doing what he once did. And now we're talking about this every Sunday and and that and and this, that, and the other. And something has happened to transform, not in a good way, but to transform churches. And there is kind of the social justice focus. But here's the thing. Biblically speaking, the greatest need for reconciliation is not between people groups. It's between humanity and God. And we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. How? By being reconciled ourselves to God. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. What's the blessing? For they shall be called sons, daughters of God. The blessing of the peacemaker is that they are recognized as true children of God. 
You know, the attitudes described in the Beatitudes are not valued by our modern culture. And they never will be. Our culture doesn't recognize poverty of spirit or pure in heart as an attribute or attributes that should be admired. But uh, they're characteristics of citizens of heaven. Mariel, come up, please. Guys, Jesus is coming. I wish I knew when he was coming. But he's coming. And judgment is coming. So, um, you know, this world that we live in, this world that uh, seems to have a bloodlust for abortion and a sexual lust for pornography and a power lust. It is ripe. It has been ripe for judgment. Judgment is coming on the earth. I mean, this is what, you know, we know that the judgment that's coming is going to be seven years. We know this from Daniel chapter 9. We know this from Revelation, the book of Revelation. Guys, don't you think it's amazing? Isn't it wonderful how it's almost as if, you know, once you get to Revelation, the Lord says, now, I want to really break this down for them in case some of them didn't understand that there's a missing seven in Daniel chapter nine. So let's break this down. Okay, Lord, what do we do? Well, I want you to break it in half, three and a half years. Okay, we got that. I want you to make it Really simple. I want you to give the months, 42 months. Okay, all right, we'll do that. Oh, and I want you to break it down to the very days. Okay, Lord, all right, we'll get it. Seven years, judgment coming on a Christ-rejecting world. People are perishing. But we're here still. Guys, listen, all of this craziness is happening, and we are here. We the church with the Spirit of God, the restrainer, the Spirit of God, is here. But we will, will be removed. And it's going to be unbelievable. So we want to make sure that we're sharing the gospel with people. We're telling them of the importance. I think sometimes, you know, we think that uh, talking about judgment isn't a good thing, you know. We don't want to scare people. We just want to talk about the love of God. I think we're beyond that I think we need to tell people as it really is. Because people are seeing this world that we live in that is just falling apart at the seams. And people need hope. And the only hope that this world has is Jesus. It's faith in Christ. And so look for opportunities to share the gospel with people. It goes without saying... If you're holding a grudge towards someone, forgive them. Forgive them. Trust God. Stop pretending like you're God. You're in control because you're not. And when we do that, we just wear ourselves out. We really do. So would you stand with me?